and welcome to the Deep to NBA podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffman. Mr. Boffman, man, how are we? I'm so good, Sean. How are you? I'm splendid. It is sunny here in Melbourne. I assume it's sunny there, given you're wearing a t-shirt, and it is a great day to do a podcast. Yeah, it's definitely sunny here. It's about 28, literally peachy weather. I'm just excited for today's pod because obviously with the draft, draft season, it's all about optimism and putting a positive spin on things and seeing the best in the moves that your team does. But free agency <laughs> is literally the complete opposite. So I'm ready to kind of trade in my blissful optimist outlook from last week for a healthy dose of cynicism. You know, I'm already on the cynicism train because I <laughs> missed the memo about being positive for the draft because I wasn't positive at all. Um, but you, you should, you should have reasons to be happy. Phoenix had a pretty good, much better than previous off seasons, pretty good free agency period. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, over the moons, maybe, uh, a bit too strong. I'd say cautiously optimistic. I feel like you say that every single time I talk about Phoenix on this pod, you always preface it with cautiously optimistic. (laughs) Well, nothing, you know, this is the, this is the reality of, you know, we're going into our 11th season, uh, not making the playoffs. I have to keep saying cautiously optimistic because nothing ever changes. It's always the same. So uh, that's, you know, guilty until proven. And innocent until proven guilty. And it's with the Suns, it's kind of like no playoffs until proven playoffs. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Um, before we start, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through teams that we're interested in. We'll talk a bit about whether we like the deals they did, whether they're overall winners or losers. But I think before we mention the name of a team, and I'll, I'll let you, Dante, pick the team we want to talk about, I'd just like to say that the biggest news of this whole entire free agency period is something that was quite predictable, which is that Giannis Antetokounmpo did not sign a Supermax or any extension, meaning he is heading into his final season with the Milwaukee Bucks and Dallas, Toronto, Miami, and Golden State still has the flexibility too. But all those three teams didn't ink anything that will impede on their Giannis space. Um, so there is still the opportunity that Giannis could leave to one of these teams. And I'd like to say that what has happened to the Bucks this off season is not, uh, is not going to help their cause in re-signing Giannis. I, I was actually cautiously optimistic on draft day and, and the day before the draft when we recorded, but very much less so now. Well, the, the, I'm just going to not quite a breaking news, <clears throat> not quite a breaking news update, but a, a recent update, the heat, have uh, signed Bam to a max. Let's let's start there because it will that will actually impinge on their Giannis space. It, I was it doing a bit of. They'll have to trade someone um, instead of just signing him in for free, essentially. Yeah, which which you know, depending on depending on what Milwaukee, what the situation with Milwaukee is, that signing trade could be something really really minuscule like a couple of second round picks and it's effectively just a free agent signing because Giannis has said, I'm leaving. And the Bucks have said, all right, well, we'll just get whatever we can back. Or it could be, you know, like a proper, a proper stash where they have to give up a couple of their young players. And the two sides of the coin here is that they've got young players and like decent role players that might potentially be appealing. But then the other side of the coin is those are the exact sort of players like a Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson who you want to keep to put around Giannis. So if you give them up to get him, yeah, you got him, but you know, at what cost? Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's um, Nate Duncan had this really good point the other day, which was that Adrian Wojnarowski, <laughs> I think two days ago, tweeted out saying that um, that Bear Matavara's agent had said that he's he's hopeful. It wasn't negative, but he said he was hopeful that Bam can sign a max contract extension, and Bam reckons he's at an All NBA level, which is very deserving. So, and obviously, we know if it wasn't for Giannis, then he would have signed it on day one, and it would have been done and dusted, right? But I think Nate Duncan said that one of the reasons you're hearing that is because maybe Bam Adebayo and his representation are thinking, all right, well, we know that we're going to get $165 million when we can. But if someone's sitting there saying, like, if I'm like, Dante, you should come work with me and I'll pay you so much money. And then you're like, yeah, awesome. And I'll be like, all right, well, you just just wait though, wait a year. That's quite uneasy because um, a whole lot of things could happen in a year. There could be a virus that shuts down the whole entire world. There could be all these different things that we, we couldn't even predict a year from now. And it would be quite uneasy. So he was assuming that Bam Adebayo's camp was like, look, we can still get Giannis even if we sign, um, even if you sign us to to the max extension, you just might have to give up one piece later on down the line. I don't know who who that is. Like maybe Sandra Iguodala got a team option in the following season or whatever it is like that. Give up a piece like that who's getting paid enough money to open up the space. And they pretty much used their power, which was you don't want us to be pissed off because we're as much part of this as Giannis would be if Giannis did come. And you may as well give us the money now. Not that it was that negative, but it wasn't a good sign in terms of Kumbaya, Miami Heat, that Bam Adebayo and his agent were saying to Woj, hey, let's just put it out there that we deserve this contract. And he got it. Um, And I think if Miami had intended to give him this extension, it would have happened on day one. Do you agree with that hypothesis? Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it is a bit strange that it's that it's hap- like happened when it's happened. Um, the other thing is that they share the same agent, Giannis and Bam. So mm-hmm. there, there was a report, and I'll, I'll credit it properly, from Anthony Chiang and Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald saying that you know Giannis is allegedly more would be more impressed by the Heat kind of like taking care of their guy, and like that's Heat culture like you perform and we look after you like we're not going to make you wait bam we're not going to gordon hayward you like you were an all-star let's bring you back on the max you know rather than you know hanging him out of the line and and saying like we will pay you but only when we get Giannis, which obviously for bam cool like you in theory got that money coming down the pipeline but you know you tear your acl or pop your achilles and all of a sudden you're not getting the max you're getting or do his shoulder which he just did in the final well yeah yeah exactly so you know allegedly it's not going to dampen Giannis's interest in in the heat if indeed he does have some and it will make it a little bit harder for them to to bring him in obviously like i've said they won't be able to just bring him in outright but it shouldn't be too much of a of a deterrent if he does decide to just get out of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. All right, where where do you want to move to? Actually, you sort of picked that. Can I take this conversation and take it to Detroit because that's something I really want to talk about. Um, and if you're happy with that, which I'm sure you are, I will just walk through all the deals in an abridged version of what they signed in the first couple of days of free agency which the first was Mason Plumley at three years, 25 million from Woj. There was Jaleel Okafor on a quote to you deal, unquote from Woj again, Josh Jackson on an unknown amount of length from Woj. Shams Trini reporting that they signed Jeremy Grant at three for 60. They ended up stretching Dwayne Dedman of Vincent Goodwill. Um, 
They traded for Zaya Smith, who they stretched, and they traded for DeLon Wright from Mark Stone, and they let Christian Wood walk. Um, they also, in a draft night trade, ended up getting, I think it was the 16th pick for their, or 19th pick for their troubles uh, in acquiring Trevor Ariza, um, which came through Houston after the draft night deal where they let go of Robert Covington. Uh, sorry, which they got Robert Covington, if I'm correct. So a lot of stuff happened there. And I think it's been sort of buried in the last couple of days, but they signed, they signed Mason Plumley as their like first thing to do. And I've written here something that we both know, which is that Troy Weaver coming from OKC, he's the guy who really loves these long lanky wings and, He's actually potentially made you fall in love with a couple of them because I know who is that guy in OKC who came from the the New Balance Academy who you reckon is going to be good one day at the end of the bench shooter. Oh, um, Baisley. Yeah, yeah. So guys like Darius Baisley and and someone actually like Jeremy Grant who he brought into OKC and he was one of the big proponents. If he likes all these big long lanky wings like Josh Jackson who he also got. Why do they have Mason Plumlee, Jalil Okafor, and, well, they did have Dwayne Dedman, and why would they let Christian Wood, who, if anything, is more of a modern big man than any of the other dudes that they got? They, I mean, they're paying Mason Plumlee $8 million a year so that they don't have to pay Christian Wood $12 million a year, which is just like, what? And usually when something strange happens, like, there have been a few other, like a few other instances, which we'll talk about later, where something strange happens, and you're like, that doesn't really make much sense. And then you know, like a local beat reporter or someone who has like connections, like someone nationally who has connections with the team, will say like, well, like you know, they were thinking about it from this perspective, and like, yeah, they let him walk, but like it saves this much money against the cap, whatever. There's been no explanation for a why they went out and signed Mason Plumlee, not only as like their first signing, but pretty much like one of the first signings of free agency mm-hmm. whilst letting Christian Wood walk. And like understandable if Christian Wood, you know, he gets the three year sixty million dollar contract that Jeremy Grant ends up getting and they're like, eh, like we're not sold. This guy's only played a quarter of a season as a starter. Maybe we don't want to commit twenty million to him. But Houston's paying twelve or thirteen mil for three years, which is barely above mid-level exception so it, it's not like I, they're I in the cap space as well. it's baffling and then the other thing is that before they went after anybody else like even jeremy grant who's their marquee signing they committed 60 million to him they signed fucking jaleel okafor <laughs> their first two signings was Plumley and okafor and the thing to not gloss over is that they've traded up from 19 to 16 and they've picked isaiah stewart who i don't know from a bar of soap but he's a center so you know, like what what is going on here? You've you've written in our um in our run sheet. You've you've called him Vlade Weaver rather than Troy Weaver, and I think that that is so on the money in a very humorous way. Sean, you should be proud of that one because it honestly just seems like there's no. Let me rephrase that. It doesn't seem like there's no plan. It just seems like there's a very bad plan, which was kind of like the Vlade hallmark in. In um in Sacramento, so talk about like you know like a first time GM making a splash and becoming a relevant name, but potentially not for the right reasons. Yeah, it's um I actually I, I actually don't hate their whole entire off season outside of Mason Plumley because no matter what way you look at it, it doesn't make much sense. Like 
I heard someone describe him as a cerebral player and he'll bring good energy, but it's like, if you really want good energy, like how much more is it going to cost you to sign Taj Gibson on the minimum? And I'll tell you, it'll cost you $6 million more million and you could probably just lock him up for one year instead of three. Um, but I really like, you know, I, I talked about the long, lanky athlete, athletes they've got on their team. And Jeremy Grant, if he hits, then you've pretty much got like maybe the best defender on your team right there. And especially in the East, that might actually help three years from now when you're hopefully good and he can actually guard one of the better players in the league. But just ignoring the fact that Blake Griffin's still on the team. You've got Siku Dumboya. Um, the, the dudes they drafted look good. I mean, I like Killian Hayes, but then I'm the same as you are. I can't tell the other dudes from a bar of soap. They've got DeLon Wright, who I really, really like for some reason, but not many people like him. Um, they've got Zanan Musa, who could be something. They've got Josh Jackson, who had a bit of a revitalization in Memphis. And good on Memphis for sort of pushing up this dude and then not resigning him because it's like, look... We've, we might have brought him as far as we can go and we, we don't have to like be there when it all crumbles and falls again. That could be my uh, yeah, negative take again. And like they, they, they're not terrible. And if they are terrible, it'll be good because they're going to get another draft pick uh, who can actually be that, that lead guy on this team. Um, but it's just the Plumlee Okafor, very puzzling. And it didn't end up costing that much for Christian Wood uh, as we're going to talk about the Houston Rockets soon. I see. I kind of. I'm going to push back on you a little bit because, on paper, some of these deals look good. But Jeremy Grant moves across, and 20 million is is a lot for Jeremy lot Grant. Money, more yeah. than more than what either of us would have wanted to spend on on him. Judging from our conversation a few weeks ago, and obviously the the Nuggets offered him the same deal, but he's chosen to go to Detroit because they've offered him a a featured offensive role. Mm. which is great, but how is this team going to go with Jeremy Grant? You know, like you just said, he's pretty much their only wing defender. So when they play the Clippers, he's matched up on Kawhi or Paul George for, you know, the whole game. And he's also the only guy who can guard like a, a quality wing. So when they play the Clippers, he's going to spend, you know, 36 minutes guarding Kawhi or PG and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, run through the teams. And then he's supposed to like double or triple his offensive workload. He's, he's put in one season in his whole career where he's been like a, like a good three-point shooter. And is the theory now that you're just going to let him run pick and rolls or you're going to run like featured post-ups for him like to give him this offensive role? Mm. And, you know, you look at the, the list of acquisitions to surround Killian Hayes, who, you know, like, looks like a very good prospect and looks like could be your point guard of the future. But the big thing on him is that he's not, yet a great three-point shooter and tell me which of the following names is hitting threes for you out of Plumlee, Okafor, Jackson, Jeremy Grant and then DeLon Wright like I also like DeLon Wright I don't like DeLon Wright as a non-shooting like you know a non-shooting guard next to my guard who my rookie guard who shoots 30 percent and you know like Secret Dumbuya also another like high potential prospect that we'll get a look at but can't shoot threes Blake Griffin can't really shoot threes at a high clip. Like, who the fuck is going to be shooting threes? Yeah. And athletes, athletes don't matter on, on offense if, um, you know, if they're all kind of occupying the same space. Like, people are literally going to be standing close enough that they could do a high five in the middle of a play because they're just going to be standing in the lane, I feel yeah. like. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. And like I yeah, so I do like the Jeremy Grant signing with the theory that he can get better and if he doesn't get better then you're Detroit, you're not gonna be good for three years, who cares? it sorta of, it sort of saves you from signing another stupid deal. I'd rather have Jeremy Grant than three Mason Plumleys. But it's just interesting that Denver ended up offering the exact same contract. And I wrote about Jeremy Grant's pending free agency a couple of weeks ago for Sir Charles in Charge. And I actually followed up an article that will be out by the time you listen to this, which is like, oh, did Denver just blow it by not bringing him back? And it was a, it was a bit of a bummer because it's not really Denver's fault that they didn't bring him back because all the reporting was from Mike Singer of the Denver Post was that they offered this exact same contract. So they came in and we, we were talking about, does he get 15, 14? And look, he's going to want to come back. They just made the Western Conference Finals. But Denver started the process offering him $20 million a year, which is that's, that's quite surprising to me, but also not at the same time because Denver loves to pay their own guys. And he got the exact same amount of money from Detroit. And he said he went to Detroit. This was reported because he wants more of an offensive load. And like, if he thinks he's the next great ball handler or next Kawhi Leonard, and he's just been waiting for the opportunity to, to be a number one option, then like more power to him. But he hasn't proven that in like seven years or, or six years. And it would take a, a most improved player worthy campaign for him to prove that he can do something that he hasn't done yet. And, I hope that, like, I, I actually hope he does become that, like, offensive go-to scorer because if he doesn't, he's just spurned Denver and potentially ruined their chances for at least the next year or or even further if they can't figure it out after they've just lost their wing stopper. He's just spurned Denver so that he can be a number one option when he's not actually a number one option, and that is not good for a guy who likes to watch good basketball in Denver. Yeah, I... I mean, I think Jeremy Grant's, at least this season, uh, you know, if I had to place a bet, I'd say 18 points on 42% from the field. I don't know if he gets 18 points. I reckon because there'll be the, cause there'll be the, the actual like, workload will be there. You know, like they'll, they'll have the ball in his hand. It's just not going to go well. Um, but, <laughs> He's not going to go know, in the hoop. He'll get, there on, he'll get there on volume. But I think the dangerous thing with Detroit is, I, like, I don't think it's as like, harmless as like, well, whatever. Like, you know, if he's terrible and he's not worth anywhere near 20 million, then your Detroit doesn't matter. Like, because that's true if you know you're bad and you're like, yeah, like whatever. It's like a fly on the guy that we can bring in. And like, if it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. No stress. We're going to still be shit. We're going to get good draft picks, everything, yada, yada. Build around our young court. But they're not doing that. You know, like the, these moves aren't the moves that a wise front office is like, yeah, like let's just like grow slowly. These are moves bringing in veterans who are going to clog up spots and take minutes away from young players, which suggests that they don't want to be really, really bad. And everything about Detroit for the last 18 months, you know, has been really, really bad. You've got Dwayne Casey there. It's fair to wonder if he wants to hang around during a, a lengthy rebuild. So I kind of feel like they're, they're, they're thinking like, yeah, we got our seventh overall pick, Killian Hayes, and like now we're ready to build and like ready to go. And it's like, you know, that wouldn't have been true even if you just transplanted this team three years ago when the East was abominable. And it's definitely not true now where there's probably at least six or seven guaranteed playoff spots. And for Detroit to even be remotely competitive, they're going to be competing with another another few like bubble fringe teams like a Charlotte or an Orlando or, or an Atlanta who we'll talk about later for that spot. Like it just 
you know, I don't want to say delusional, but that's the kind of vibes I'm getting from big Vlade Weaver in the front office. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on from Detroit because this is probably way too much Detroit talk and might be the only time we talk about him all year. I am not, I, I'm not going to give up on Troy Weaver as a good GM, um, but he has started off poorly. <laughs> yeah, it's an ignominious start to be sure. Let's move on to the Lakers, which obviously the Los Angeles Lakers just won the NBA championship. Uh, they won after you and I both said at the start of the season that they will not win. After they won, you and I both said that they would not win again. And then they've come in and potentially had the best offseason out of every single team. Um, obviously helped along by the fact that Clay Thompson's injured and there is a bit wider of a window here. And I'm not just saying that as a Warriors homer. I think seriously, there's opportunities for teams here where they might not have been before. They came in, they signed Montrez Harrell on a sort of prove it two for 19 deal coming from Shams. They re-signed KCP on three for 40 with the final year, uh, 4.3 million guaranteed from Shams. They signed Marcus Sol just recently on two years, 5.3 coming from Woj. Bruce signed Markeith Morris on, you guessed it, the minimum. Wes Matthews on what looks like the BAE at one for 3.6. AD is yet to resign, but God, if AD leaves elsewhere, I, I might just start following another sport. That would be an incredibly stupid decision. And they lost Rondo, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee. Um, you you know, <laughs> don't tell Dwight Howard, but he's actually gone. So that was a really weird mis- misunderstanding, which we can talk about later, or we could not because we might not be talking about Dwight for very much longer. But I really want to get into, this is obviously, I didn't mention, this is just the off-season. They obviously got second in six-man-of-the-year voting um, just before the draft when they traded Danny Green and the pick for Dennis the Patch Schroeder. What are your thoughts on the Harold pickup, which is probably the, the biggest acquisition? So I really like it. Mm. I think that I think the, the obvious uh, and most prescient criticism of it is that he's probably not going to play crunch time with AD, considering the the Lakers' best lineups in final three rounds when you know when they needed to close in the playoffs. So it was was AD at the five and shooting around him, and obviously Harrell is not a great defender and he's not a shooter, so that kind of limits him to not playing in the last five minutes of the game. But for, what is it, like nine million, nine and a half million a year. And it's important to know that the second year, I think it's a player option. So if he balls out, he's going to opt out and get a big payday. I, I think that concern's a bit overblown though, because you look at him and, and Schroeder, one and two in sixth man of the year. Um, last season, if Harold plays 28 minutes a game and he goes up against second unit players, you know, you bring LeBron and AD out and then you put Harold at the five, Schroeder at the point and three, you know, like Caruso, KCP and Marquise Morris. And then you literally just like let them run, you know, like 20 pick and rolls that, mm. you know, that, that that's potentially devastating. That's a really kind of high level offense unto itself, even without two of your best players on the, like on the court. And, it's not even like they shelled out to get him, you know, like he's earning less than KCP. He's mm. probably a better player than KCP. So, you know, how many other teams signed players for $9 million this season that aren't going to play for them in crunch time in the playoffs? You know, half the league. Detroit's and the criticism, one. yeah, well, Detroit. The criticism there isn't like, 
oh well he's not gonna be you know he's not gonna be able to play like mm. it, it's like oh yeah like the Celtics brought in Tristan Thompson like good move or you know what I mean like nine million's not not that yeah, much and yeah. for a player who just put up twenty points a game um, with eight boards you know it's an absolute bargain signing mm. and yeah I mean you know it should be copy copy pasta as you're fond of saying with <laughs> with his um, connection with Schroeder from his um, his days with Lee Williams. So I really like it. I think it's a very shrewd piece of business. And, you know, especially if given the short turnaround, you want to let LeBron maybe play a few less minutes a game or give him a couple more nights off or whatever. Like he's someone who can, you know, play that four or five slot. And um, yeah, I think it'll work out nicely. Yeah, I, I think it will as well. Um, I agree with you with the defensive concerns, and I, I don't think he's closing the game either. Because if he does close the game, then they might run across the same concerns that the Clippers had. But um, I just look—it's obviously Rich Paul client. If you're a Rich Paul client, then you're going to end up in LA probably. Uh, I'd had to break it to him, but there, there's a guy. I had to break it to Adam Silver. There's a guy called LeBron James on that team that likes to bring his clients. Um, I just think if this is the make good deal um, and this is the, your one year prove it. So he's going to play a one year at $10 million and then <clears throat> hopefully cash out after this. I think this probably isn't the best place to go to cash out and put up 25 points a game. Like, yes, AD and LeBron are probably going to rest a lot. And, and LeBron's pretty much said that through sources. Uh, but you, if, if I were him, I'd rather go to Charlotte and just be like an all offense thing. Um, even before Gordon Hayward got there, just like cash in for one year, just play with Lamelo. He has fun. You have fun. You make millions of dollars. There's not even going to be fans. People probably won't even remember that you play for Charlotte, but then a year from now you come back out in the market and say, Hey, pay me $20 million a year, which I think like in terms of raw stats, he is worth somewhere around $20 million. But in terms of if you want to win a championship and you want to play him at the end of the games, then you probably don't want to be playing that, paying that guy $20 million. And I think it is, yeah, you, you said it, it was a, a shrewd piece of business and a funny guy might even say it's a shrewder piece of business. Um, and I, I really like it in terms of just go out there. You're not going to play in the fourth quarter but you bring in just more more winning for the Lakers, which is something they obviously don't need to do. But uh, I like it, um, again, as long as he doesn't close games, which we're, we're going to have to find out and see. Yeah, well, he's left a bad taste in everyone's mouth because he was the worst player. Against um, Jokic and Murray. Against Jokic, yeah. But not every team has... Nikola Jokic, you know, banging you down in the paint. Yeah, but so, the team they're probably going to face in the Western Conference Finals will. Like, it's, it's you can't... Yeah, but I mean, you know, like, you, you know, you're not like, you're not bringing in Wes Matthews because you're like, yeah, like, he's going to match up really, really well against Paul George in the Western Conference Finals. You know, you, you, you're bringing him in because like, be. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, 36-year-old Wes Matthews, I, yeah, I don't but know. But Paul George. Out of the backboard, if we're seeing that, Paul George. That's what I'm talking. You know, about. you 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 got to get you got to get to the Western Conference Finals first. Tobacco companies aren't allowed to advertise anywhere in Australia and a number of other countries. Even if you haven't seen Mad Men yet, you understand why. It's obvious. But it wasn't always this way. Tobacco advertising used to flood Australian sport until the late 1980s. Something that was completely normalised then now seems unfathomable today. 
Australians lose over $1.2 billion annually by gambling on sport. And it may seem harmless to put a multi on if you think you've got an edge, but what's harmful is the growing normalization of sports gambling and the massive increase in the risk of addiction. What's worse is that these companies are raking in your money, throwing it back into advertising and even targeting children, the next generation of gamblers in their eyes. The gambling industry spends millions on advertising every year to make it look exciting and risk-free, often placing their ads in places where they know kids and teenagers will see them the most. Next time you're watching any sport, basketball, footy, tennis, cricket, or anything else, try and see how long you can go without seeing an ad for betting. Now imagine you're a kid watching the game. There's no way to avoid it. A 12-year-old in Australia today has never even seen a professional sports game without gambling advertisements. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it. All right, well, on on the other side of the coin, the Clippers obviously let Montrose Harrell walk um, and there was a bit of beef there you could say like you, they they didn't want him back there which could be fair enough and um, i thought part of the reason why you let doc rivers go and picked up his assistant was that his assistant is going to play a vicha zuvach when it when it matters and not stick with quote his guys where he has to die with the ship instead of trying to move the ship away from the iceberg but i think losing jamichael green is also a really bad thing um it's probably not in their control he probably wanted to play in Denver, especially if he's going to get actual minutes there as well. But the the main moves that the Clippers did was signing Marcus Morris Sr. to a four for 60 deal, signing Serge Ibaka to, what's that, two for 20, two for, not actually two for 19, that's Montrezl Harrell's money, um, with the second year of non-guarantee. And then they also picked up Patrick Patterson for the minimum, sorry, re-signed Patrick Patterson for a one year on the minimum. Um I I was a bit scared for the Clippers. Obviously, you and I picked them to win the title last season, or maybe you picked the Bucks. But I picked the Clippers to win the title last season. I picked them heading into the bubble, and I was not afraid of them to. Uh, well, I was afraid of them as a guy who was going for Denver when they went out three one. Obviously, things happened since then, and I was worried this off season that they just lost Montrez, and it was like, oh God, we're going to be running with the Vicha Zubac and like joke him Noah at the at the backup big. Um but Serge Barker is such a such a big pickup, pardon the pun, as a big man. Um I I th- this this puts the Clippers right back at the top for me in terms of winning the championship this season. And yes, I'm very biased and I really like the Clippers. Also what they did in recent times, which we talked about at the draft a bit, was essentially turning Landry Shamet into Luke Kennard, who you and I both think is a just better version of Landry Shamet. Yeah, I definitely, definitely love that that move. You know, bringing Kennard in because he he's like JJ Redick with a bit more ball handling chops. You know, he's probably not the the elite, elite, elite shooter like Redick is, but he's definitely a way better player and a more multifaceted player than Shamet. And I think, yeah, I think bringing a Barker in helps to cover for the loss of Green and Harrell. I think maybe, like I've heard a lot of, um, you know, like national American media types saying like, oh, like bringing a Barker in, like that definitely like, definitely covers for all of it. And I'm like, I, I don't know, like Barker's not that good and he's old. And just a, <laughs> just like a little, a little trivia, how old do you think Marcus Morris is? 32. He's 31 and they just gave him a four year 
contract. Yeah. They can pay him sixteen million a year when he's thirty-five. So I know, you know, I know you've got to go all in to do it when mm. you've got Kawhi and PG, but it just makes you wonder if this isn't like the chickens kind of coming home to roost from the way that this team was assembled where, and the same logic's kind of been used with the Bucks sending out every pick they had to bring in Drew Holiday and then saying like, well, you know, if Giannis stays, it's worth it. You know, like yeah. they traded literally everything. This is the Clippers. They traded literally everything to get Paul George so that then Kawhi Leonard would come leaving the cupboard bare, meaning that now when they had their one asset, left which was the first round pick they traded for marcus morris last year you have to bring him back on this and you know 16 million a year is that's heaps for marcus morris <laughs> and yeah. i just kind of wonder if like the, the emphasis on like we've got to go all in like right now to maximize our time with these two guys when you know it seems like it's more a Kawhi thing than a pg thing but when you know, they've given no indication that they're staying past this year and demanded everything in terms of roster construction. Mm. And sometimes, you know, maybe it's true that you can't just like, maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't an effective or realistic way of, you know, building a roster because I'm not anywhere near as bullish on their chances this season as, as you are. And I think they've gotten, I think they've actually gotten demonstrably worse. And looking at some of the off-seasons that other teams have had that were kind of in that, like, three through seven range last season in the West, I'm, like, not 100% sure that, um, you know, the Clippers are going to be, like, far and away in that top tier of the West this season. Mm, I I would be remiss in not bringing up the same Montrose Harrell point with Marcus Morris, which is... When the Clippers need to win basketball games, they're going to be playing Paul George at the three, Kawhi Leonard at the four, and they're big at the five. So the big now is Serge Ibaka. Marcus Morris's best position is the four. So there is no role for him, and you're paying him money in the same vein that you're paying Montrose Harrell, who, when you want to win games, you're going to be paying AD and LeBron at your four and five. So that's not a good use of assets. But... Yeah, they're a bit fucked if they do, fucked if they don't, because they traded a pick to get this guy. And I like Marcus Morris in the in the view of, hey, you traded for a pick halfway through the season and he comes in and he hits threes. I don't like him so much when you have to pay him $64 million, but that is sort of the price of doing business. I I think Serge Ibaka is good at basketball. Um, I, I don't think you feel the same way. Uh, and that might just be like where where we stand on that. And we'll find out on December 22nd when the ball starts to bounce. But you, you are right in your concerns because Serge Ibaka is getting quite old. It's not like he's the, you know, he's not young anymore. Um, and he is a big man and he does rely on athleticism and he is more athletic big. So I am a little bit worried there, but I think if Serge Ibaka is himself, you're going to have Serge Ibaka, Kawhi and Paul George as your front court and, and like Patrick Beverly just yapping and whoever at the two, that is incredibly scary on the defensive end. And you also have to factor in the fact that this won't be a bubble and this won't be this uh, weird sort of not want to be their Clippers. This is going to be the Clippers through a full, <laughs> air quotes, full regular season coming in and wanting to win a championship. And I'm going to do what I did last season, pick them to win the whole thing again. Uh, I <laughs> it's not a bad uh, pick. Yeah. No, no, it's it's definitely not because anytime you're picking, you know, a, a team with 
Kawhi and, and hopefully not way off P, but Paul George as your, you know, your cornerstone with some genuinely good role players. Like I, I do think Ibaka's a really good player, but I, I, you know, I don't view him as like someone who's going to come in and cover for the loss of Harold and Green just with the way that this team's constructed. Um, you know, especially as he's not, he's not like old, old. Like he'll be 32 this season. So it's not like he's past it, but I'm just wary. <clears throat> I'm just wary of saying like, oh, they got a Barker. It's okay. And off the top of talking about the Clippers, you mentioned the beef. Um, that seems to be a product of there being um, some chemistry issues with this team in the way that, you know, like I feel like you don't lose that series against Nuggets if your team's like, yeah, loves each other. Enhancing Kumbaya. Yeah, you know, like, and, and maybe that goes out the door with Harold leaving, but maybe it doesn't because, you know, Kawhi and PJ have never drawn rave reviews for their leadership, which means who are your, like, who are your on-court leaders? It's Patrick Beverly and, you know, a guy we talked about a lot, Marcus Morris. Like, are they your kind of, like, vocal leading guys and Morris isn't a guy that's, you, you know, it's going to play big minutes at the end of games and, and Beverly, whilst he's good, he's, um, his role is kind of compromised in that when you need a bucket or in the fourth quarter or in the playoffs, you're not saying Pat Bev, like run a pick and roll, you know, you're giving the ball to Kawhi, giving the ball to PG, letting them run the offense. And that doesn't really leave an offensive role for, for Beverly. So mm-hmm. I'm not really big in, in like the, locker room stuff and like looking at like roster construction in terms of the way that everyone fits together personality wise. But it just seems like this team had obviously such glaring issues last season. And I don't know if the moves that they've done have the possibility to fix them, but I'm definitely not confident that they have. Although maybe, you know, maybe Ty Lue's the the star whisperer (laughs) and, you know, he comes in like he did with the Clippers and, turns a like the the card sorry yeah. turns a situation where star players are like unhappy into a championship in his first year maybe maybe but yeah you're sort of hoping for a lot there well speaking of uh teams not really being all together and <laughs> and not winning games when it matters let's talk about the milwaukee bucks who obviously we talked a little bit about the Giannis antetokounmpo non-decision slash decision before um I just let's let's start with the thing that was solidified today, which was Bogdan Bogdanovich signing with the Atlanta Hawks um, and the Sacramento Kings deciding not to match. Obviously, the reason he was picking, well, the reason those two teams were picking between him is because there was a sign and trade sort of quote done um, between the Bucks and the Kings. This was during the four-man wave where we had uh, resident Sacramento fan Alessio Conte come on and he was displeased with the package that they were getting in return and so he very well should be. It was a pile of shit. Um, But then it came out that there wasn't actually a deal in place for um, the Kings and the I've got a few reports here. So one from Sam Amick, who from The Athletic was the guy who was talking about this the most. Him and Shams Trania were broke the news, but then also broke the news that came afterwards. And there was a quote here from Sam that says, I think there's a fair amount of displeasure between the two sides in terms of the Bucks and Bogdan's camp. And then Bogdan's camp told the Sacramento Bee that, quote, there was never a deal. 
um, and the NBA agreed to open, well, the NBA opened uh, an investigation into the sign and trade because obviously the sign part of the sign and trade can't be agreed upon until the free agency moratorium starts, which is after the draft. And this sign and trade deal was done before the draft. So I know tampering happens everywhere, but when it's as blatant as that, where it's literally, you've essentially signed a guy before you're allowed to talk to him and, and discuss the deal. And maybe they didn't actually discuss the deal because what's happened is there wasn't a deal in place that both teams were happy with, or sorry, just the, just the uh, Kings and bogeys camp were happy with. Um, and this is, I, I was saying uh, on that four man weaver episode where I said, would you guys be surprised if Giannis signs the Supermax right now? Because he's looking around at his team. Yes, there's probably no future, but he's got Drew Holiday, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, and himself. And like that is a very good team, right? But now that they're missing out on Bogey, like this is, uh, look, Dante, this is the most critical year uh, that the Bucks can still control with that helps with Giannis's future because this is their final year while he's under contract where they can prove that they're all about winning and they can prove that they want to surround this guy with the championship contender and literally right at the finish line where they can actually get a really good player alongside the other really good player and Drew Holiday that they traded for. And they literally stuffed up. Like they stuffed it up. It's on them because they reported that the deal was done. They didn't actually get the deal done. They got too giddy or whatever happened. They didn't actually get the deal done. And um, Giannis actually helped with the recruitment of Bogdanovich because he obviously like would like to play with him. He helped doing it. And it's just like... They 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 fucked up, man. Like they they really fucked up, and they only have themselves to blame. Um, just like Sean Connery bumping into a bookshelf, he only has my shelf to blame. I shouldn't have made that joke. And even though I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, and I want to see the Bucks be successful, and I want to see these small markets like Golden State used to be a small market come in and really draft well, pick up Giannis Antetokounmpo, surround him with players that suit him. So they obviously traded for Middleton from Detroit. They traded for Brook Lopez. Or, no, sorry, they signed Brook Lopez after a nice little season with the Lakers. And like they did everything right. They didn't win, but they have enough firepower to go in and win again. But they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And you and I like to bring up the uh, Malcolm Brogdon deal slash not deal uh, pretty much every single episode I'd like to say. And that, that was a big stuff up by them, but they keep stuffing it up. And after they didn't get bogey, they turned around and they signed Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, DJ Augustine, re-signed Pat Connaughton and picked up Tory Craig. And like, I'm sorry, those players are not very good at basketball in terms of winning a championship. And we haven't seen any of them be on a championship level, especially not Bobby Portis, um, even though he's your favorite player, Dante. The Bucks have really stuck their foot in it and really fucked up. And they only have themselves to blame when Giannis leaves a year from now because there are three teams perfectly ready to take him on as soon as he wants. And uh, that's the end of my rant. Yeah, well, I couldn't have said it any better. I could have said it more succinctly, which would have just been end it at they fucked up because <laughs> you're so right. Like, they literally, this is... Mate, this is, you know, one of the most high leverage situation fuck ups I can remember. It seems like Giannis will, will go, right? Like you wouldn't stay. Oh, uh, Just, I'm, I'm thinking you know, this, because... this team's not gonna win the chip. 
I think because there is so much pressure for the Bucks to keep Giannis around, they're going to, if it, if it becomes apparent halfway through the season that they're not going to win a championship, like maybe one of their key players breaks a leg and they're not going to win a championship. Um, the, the Bucks might look around and say, hey, we just gave up five picks for Drew Holiday. We don't have any young talent that, let's say Giannis leaves, they don't have like, who's going to sell tickets like Chris Middleton or Pat Connaughton. So I think this this stuff up makes that a little bit more likely just because there's not just because they don't have as good a team there's more risk for you know someone getting injured and them not being good. I think it actually makes them more likely to turn around trade and something we've talked about is that the best trade package for Giannis would be Golden State with Andrew Wiggins uh, Minnesota's 2021 first and literally take your pick of any future Golden State picks. You could, you could probably get the five picks that you've just passed out for Drew Holiday. You can just have Golden State's future instead of your own future. Um, I think that is, it's a more real possibility that it gets traded simply because there is nothing left for the Bucks to do to improve this team or recover afterwards. Um, unlike the Kevin Durant situation where if Kevin Durant leaves, it's like, well, you've still got Russell Westbrook who turns in an MVP season. You've still got a couple of young guys and then you eventually trade for Victor Oladipo and so on and so on. Um, There is no plan B like there was with Kevin Durant leaving OKC. Like this is so much all in for the Bucks. It's fucking scary. And I, I don't even... I don't even know any Bucks fans face to face that I, I can see the stress on their face, but I can just imagine. I mean, uh, this kind of hits hits it at something that annoys me time and time again, though, in in terms of the way that it's covered. And you know, obviously, we're an Australian podcast with a mostly Australian listenership, but we get most of our news from national media and and in some in some cases, um, like beat reporters from the US, and almost to a T, every single time something like this happens and it was the same, you know, like I just mentioned with the Clippers and it happened when with the coverage of Drew Holiday, everyone's like, well, you know, is Drew Holiday worth your starting point guard, your backup point guard, three first rounders and two pick swaps? No, but you do it a hundred times out of a hundred if it gets Giannis to stay. And it's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard (laughs) because this is exactly why you don't do that. Because if that's your move, your movies, you know, paying double what Drew Holiday's value is, maybe even triple what Drew Holiday's value is, because you know you'd say Bledsoe and Bledsoe and a lightly protected pick is probably good value for Drew Holiday. They mm. overpaid through the nose, and if that's your move and it doesn't work, you're literally screwed. You have nowhere to go. And the reason why it looked okay in you know it's because they the other shoe drops and they announced that they got Bogdanovich on an absolute steal, giving up like DJ Wilson, Ilya Sova and DiVincenzo for Bogdanovich, which is, you know, that's good value, but they, they messed that up and you're not going to get a, a player of Bogey's caliber for that trade value, you know, that mm-hmm. trade package, like DiVincenzo, <laughs> you know, like, and, and even the Clippers last season, they, they emptied the chamber to bring everyone in. They kept one pick, which they were able to trade mid season to a shitty Knicks team for a guy who's like, who's good and can step in right away. Sorry, they actually, got, isn't, they actually got swap rights on that. It wasn't just a trade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, DiVincenzo is, you know, a good player, a young player, but it's easier to flip, you know, like a first rounder to who's going to be, that, you know, really bad this year. Like, I don't know, maybe like a Charlotte or a Detroit or some shitty team and say, we'll take this veteran on an expiring off your hands and we'll give you a first and that's it. 
DiVincenzo is less appealing. So they don't even have that option. It's literally like, like you said, if it doesn't click or someone gets injured, then, you, you know, you're done. Giannis is expiring. Drew Holiday is expiring. That's the fucking team, you know? Like, if, if this goes badly through the first two months of the season, it's, it's done. Mm. It's completely done. And through a combination of poor, poor um, execution with the Bogdanovich thing and just, like, the, the whole logic that everyone, you know, covers that, that trade with, with, like, well, you know, like, is the car worth 700000 No. But, you know, like you pay, it's worth 150000 but you pay 700000 just to get it. So that now you've got it. It, <laughs> it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense because this is exactly the situation that you find yourself in. Capped out, no picks, no young assets. And, you know, the dude would be crazy to sign the Supermax before he's seen how this is going to look. He'd be crazy to sign the Supermax even during the season. Like, I think if this team doesn't win the chip, he's gone. And... Looking at the teams that got better in the East, it's not even a sure thing that this team wins the East, which they've run away winning the last two years. Like, mm. It wouldn't shock me if you know, Philly or Brooklyn was better you know, and, and these guys um, kind of fall back to the middle of the pack and are looking more at that like three, four Boston-Toronto zone. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just really think they've messed it up. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've talked about how they've messed it up a lot. And one day you and I can break down what we would do and what the next team can do differently. Like maybe what can Memphis do to not fuck it up for John Rand, um eight years from now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what they could have done. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But you know what else is twenty twenty? Keeping Bro- Malcolm Brogdon in the moment. That too is twenty twenty. Whatever. All right. Well, from one from one checkers player to one chess player. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's talk about the Golden State Warriors. Chestnut checkers. Um I've literally written here Dante Roll's eyes, but we got Kelly Ubre, the high watermark for the traded player exception. We got Brad Watermaker on a one-year 2.25 deal coming from Woj. I, I like Brad Watermaker, and I'm not just saying that because he's on my team at the moment. Uh, I think he can really fill that Sean Livingston role. We got Kent Bazemore on the minimum, which uh, that's coming from Shams, but if maybe Shams has been listening to the deep two because we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, they sadly waived Kai Bowman, which is uh, horrible. Uh, and they they applied for a disabled player exception for Clay Thompson, which is going to be worth. It's definitely going to happen because unlike the Lakers, our disabled players are actually disabled. <laughs> it's a weird flex, um, but lol. It's thing. a very weird flex. <laughs> is, this, is this what chestnut? This is what chestnut checkers is all about. Like when you're when you apply for a disabled player exception, it's actually they're actually disabled. Well, the Lakers light years ahead. Yeah, well, maybe it's not light years ahead, but maybe Rob Blink is light years behind with just that little point applying for <laughs> a guy who wasn't actually injured, uh, didn't actually end his career. Anyway, so we're going to get $9.3 million, which is this was most recently uh, used with uh, Gordon Hayward. Um, when Gordon Hayward injured, we got injured in the first day of the first three minutes of the, his first season with Boston. They applied for the t- disabled player exception, which was a little bit lower at the time, which means they could use that free money to essentially sign someone. doesn't count against the tab. They could tax. They could take in a player worth that or lower. Um, and it's only for one year. This can't be bundled with anything else and it can't be bundled for a multi-year deal. 
so you know it's like the you get to pick up the we we pretty much have a tool to pick up the best free agent who gets bought out halfway through the season which is a valuable tool because you know uh, West Matthews a couple of years ago and Wayne Ellington next year after he went back to Detroit and so on. Anyway, Golden State hit the high water mark. Sadly, no Clay Thompson. I just want to say that we're going to reach a point in the season. It's going to be game one where Draymond gets the rebound. He's running down the court. Andrew Wiggins and uh, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre Jr. are both running towards the ring. One of them will flare out to the three. Steph Curry will be behind Draymond trying to catch the trail three. And then when he catches it, the team, the both defenders from Draymond and Steph's are going to jump on him because he's the greatest shooter on the planet. He's going to pass that to Draymond Green. Draymond's going to instantly throw a lob to Marquise Chris. It's going to go in. I'm going to literally cream everywhere, but we're not going to win a title. But fuck, that's fun. That that is honestly pretty sad. Not gonna lie. Nah, mate. Have, that is if this is what Chestnut Checkers is, <laughs> sign me up for che- sign me up for Checkers, please. And obviously, this is the reality with no Clay Thompson. But I, I still think that's a fun team. And you're you're just saying that because you're a little bit burnt because I got two ex sons, maybe, and we might actually win more games than Phoenix next season. I think that'll be a really good bet for you and I to have for a picnic who wins more games out of our two teams. But uh, I think this will be fun. We're not going to win championship, but I'm happy with the moves that Golden State has done. Yeah, definitely. I think bringing in Ubre was great value. And obviously, yeah. you know, you get, we've talked Literally about him quite a few times. Yeah, getting getting him in. A top 20 protect- with the, the The TPA is a unique opportunity. And yeah, top 20 protected. And, and then it, it doesn't even, you know, decline in, um, in protection, it just becomes two seconds. So that's that's really good. Ubre is um, Ubre is a really good player. Um, Did you see who, him talking shit yeah. about Ryan McDonough on the way out the door? <laughs> McDonough? Do you mean you mean Sava? No, sorry. Uh, so he did say, uh, he, yeah, he said he said the thing about talk shit about he talks shit about everyone on the way out the door. To be honest, that's that's true, except for the players. But yeah, he said it'll be good to play for an organization that's owned by an owner that knows what they're doing. But then Ryan McDonough retweeted him and was, ugh, I'm actually going to get the tweet up, Dante. You you take the floor for a couple of seconds. It was really good. <laughs> Ryan McDonough, he of the infamous goat shitting on his desk. <laughs> incident well he also like um i just found a what's his name tsunami puppy tsunami puppy or wave puppy oh, this is getting too hard <laughs> this is great radio uh anyway oh sorry um, i just found the quote um ryan mcdonough on twitter says where can i get a kelly Ubre junior warriors jersey i'd like to buy them in every size and color if Ubre jerseys aren't available yet then i'll probably buy a brooks jersey i haven't decided if i want a dylan brooks one or a marshall brooks i always get those two guys confused that is honestly some fucking shade from a dude who never won more than 30 games in a season. And the top comment is, you're just jealous you couldn't figure out how to get past 25 wins and that James Jones created a playoff team in two seasons, even more having to clean up your mess. Yeah, well, Ryan McDonald was too busy, you know, cleaning up the mess on his own desk <laughs> and in his office with all the goat shit to actually, like, worry about cleaning up the mess that he made on the court. Um is this, is this a good time, would you imagine, to segue into some Suns chat? I think it's the greatest time as ever. <laughs> well, let's let's do it. So, obviously, obviously, Ure goes to Golden State via 
the Thunder in the in the Chris Paul trade, and then Phoenix. Um, you know, pretty good, pretty reasonable off season. It's not often that you we get some decent players at reasonable rates. <laughs> so when I woke up and saw that Jay Crowder had signed with the Suns, I was thinking to myself, Yeah, I reckon three three is thirty is you know, it would be fair value. And I check Bleacher Report and lo and behold, it's three years 30. Bringing Javon Carter back at three years and a shade under 12 million is a good piece of value. And then Saric, um, we talked about multiple times during the season. And then when we had Gina Mazzell, formerly of the Athletics and now of the Valley Tales on, that there was, you know, if Saric plays well, there's massive potential to overpay him. And we didn't end up doing that. Um, three years, 27 to bring him back. And we go, you know, Phoenix pretty much goes too deep at every position of like reasonable NBA players, which I can't remember the last time. Um, I can't remember the last time that was true. And I can't remember the last time we had kind of a player who fits, at, at least one player who fits like the archetype of what you want. Like we've got a point guard, we've got a scoring guard, we've got a potentially... Um, you know, great inside presence on both ends at big. We've got a couple of like lockdown wing defenders. We've got some positional flexibility. It all it all seems to be trending up, and and yet I <laughs> refuse to let myself fully buy in and fully go over to you know you know believing that we're going to be a playoff team until I see that we're you know like twenty one and eleven through the first you know, almost half of the season. Then I'll maybe Didn't you start it. the season like 10 and four. Didn't you start really well this season as well? We started, I think we started like seven and one. Mm. Beat a couple of good teams. I wrote an article about it on <laughs> the deep two um, forward slash medium. And I, I think that if I, if I remember correctly, the, the article title was don't look now, but the Phoenix Suns might be good. And I'll just, save you the trouble you probably shouldn't have looked it was maybe a bit of an early victory <laughs> lap so it brings it back to my you know like if i was in if i was in game of thrones and my house house boffer had you know like the words like the stark's words is winter is coming my words would be cautiously optimistic the words of house boffer well, I actually liked the other moves you did, which you didn't mention, which, which was picking up each one more for the minimum. He was a guy who I wanted to see in Golden State and played all right last season. And Langston Galloway at the biennial exception is, is fine. I, th- I think he's good. Um, I just have to ask, are you going to get, uh, like, <laughs> which Jay Crowder are you going to get? Are you going to get the one that's really pissed off in Memphis than Miami and plays really well? Or are you going to get the one from, like, the last two seasons where it's like, Oh yeah, okay. Maybe he's getting a little bit old. Um, and Dunno, you seem to not mention um, signing a, a backup bigger. I think you signed Damian Jones uh, on a two-year minimum, second-year non-guaranteed. Um, are you cautiously optimistic about Damian Jones? No, that's why I didn't mention him. <laughs> that's right. Um, and also, you mentioned Gina Mazel, who a couple of weeks ago, congratulations to her, got a job within the Phoenix Suns organization. Um, essentially telling stories through Phoenix and helping them write their stuff, their internal stuff and internal heading external stuff. So congratulations to her. Big props. Friend of the pod, Gina Zell. Maybe she can, uh, maybe she can get us in. 
Well, then, then, we're, then the aggregators will definitely be on our trail. So I don't know. <laughs> I maybe don't know about can, that. Maybe we can, maybe we can get her on the pod, and she can try and get Damian Jones on the pod, and then you can tell Damian Jones his face <laughs> over a Zoom link how much you hate him. <laughs> I don't hate him, but it's like yes, if you, you were, if you and I were playing the five next to Draymond, KD, Steph, and Clay. <laughs> He just need to catch the ball, man. <laughs> like, he just could. He just couldn't catch the ball, and it's it's one of the most fundamental skills in the game of basketball or any sport. Yeah, but you know what? There's there's, you know, it's not like they're they're not as plentiful as ants by any stretch. But there's plenty of bigs in the NBA who like can't really catch the ball on on the roll. You know, plenty of of bigs who've gotten paid a lot more money than. <laughs> Damien Jones, Bismack Biombo comes to mind, who just never <laughs> quite mastered the art of catching the ball. And you know what? Like how you know, how how big are their hands? Like twelve inch and they can't you know, you can palm the basketball but you can't catch it. Anyway, where would you <laughs> where would you kind of like slot this this son's team in? Let's do some prognostication for next season. Do you think that this is a playoff team? Yes, I think it's a playoff team because if you look at the playoffs right now, uh, Houston uh, probably shouldn't have started there. Um, Memphis aren't going to be there. OKC is not going to be there. And I'm saying Memphis aren't going to be there simply because other teams got better, not because they got worse. Portland probably higher up. You've got Denver, LA, LA. Houston could go terrible. So there's probably three and a half spots there to fill. Assuming Utah and Dallas come back, so maybe that's two and out. Portland got Robert Covington. Everyone's fifteenth favorite best player. Maybe there's one and a half spots to fill. So Do you think they're better than Portland, the Suns? Yeah, you, I think if you are going to make the playoffs, you're going to be like the six seed, and you're better than Portland. But then Golden State's going to be in the mix. New Orleans is going to get better with Eric Bledsoe and Stephen Adams. Minnesota are going to be the second worst team in the league, and we're going to draft the next best player ever. Sacramento are going to get better. Um, it's so hard, man. <laughs> it's uh, I'm all I'm saying is that, yeah. like, yes, I'll ask you where you will be, but I'm just happy for you that there's going to be a play-in. Yeah, yeah, but then, I mean, the play-in provides the opportunity potentially if we can't get done in the regular season. But you know, like the, some of the other teams that you mentioned that that look good. Um, you know, coming up from from where they were last season, like it wouldn't be a shock to see Golden State make the playoffs. I think that Portland will be really good this season, so they're going to jump in there. New Orleans, you know, if we get a full healthy season of Zion and you know some of the additions that they've made, you mentioned Adams and, and Bledsoe, who they've both acquired through trades, and if their young players get a little bit better, like could be really really good. You get to eight really quickly. It's it's yeah. going to be one of those weird those weird years where kind of both conferences have probably at least six guaranteed playoff teams. Um, the only know, thing I that gives me pause with you, seven is Chris Paul's injury history. If Chris Paul gets injured, that that might be it because it's so hard. Yeah, to- and and you know his, his injuries have been soft tissue injuries over the last few years, which. Um, you know, it can be correlated with 
workload and amount of rest and that sort of thing. So, uh, in a, with a, as quick a turnaround as, as we've had from season to season, maybe it doesn't bode well for those older players and, and maybe in order for, um, you know, players with veterans in that 35, 36 age range to kind of like, uh, get the most out of them, they'll have to rest them quite a lot, which means that if Chris Paul, you know, is only playing 75% of the games, do we have the margin for error for him to, you know, like miss out on that many games? Like do we fall to pieces or not when he, when he rests? So I think those are the, mm. um, that's really the, the one way that it could all fall apart. But like, I wouldn't be shocked if, Golden State, New Orleans, and Portland was the six, seven, eight, and we were on the outside looking in at nine. You know, I wouldn't be shocked at all. So I don't, I don't think that this is a bona fide playoff team, yeah. just because. You know, like if if Houston keeps it together, then that means the only team from last season that's pretty much guaranteed to fall out is the Thunder. So yeah. that opens up one spot for potentially three teams, four teams if you include Memphis. So, you know, I, I could definitely, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of come back to cautiously my, optimistic. The words of my Game of Thrones house. <laughs> yeah, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, lovely. I, I think the only the only problem. Well, sorry, what I, what I meant to say about. Um, the Rockets is that they are going to keep their two guys together, but they just hate being there and they rest nonstop and they, they don't give their full effort. That's That was my theory for Houston dropping out is that they just don't want to be there and, and fair enough. Should we move on to the Hawks? Yeah, let's do it. So obviously we just talked about Bogdan Bogdanovich, who he was guaranteed to be, uh, sorry, he was finalized heading to Atlanta today at a four for 72 deal per Sam Amick. Chris Dunn signed at two for 10, coming from Adrian Wojnarowski. Rondo, two for 15. Danilo Gallinari, three for 62, which leaves a depth chart of Trey Young, Bogey Bogdanovich, who might be coming off the bench for Cam Reddish. Uh, Gallinari at the three, maybe. I don't know how. Oh, we're definitely going to talk about that. John Collins at the four, Clint Capella at five, with Herder, Reddish, Hunter, Rondo, uh, Chris Dunn. Uh, how much do you like Bruno Fernando? <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's probably all the depth, but it is very, very much deeper than it was before. They also got Solomon Hill on a minimum. Um, I, I like this team, and we talked a little bit about this off air, but. The whole point of tanking to get Trey Young and get like Kevin Herder, but to get DeAndre Hunter and, and Cam Reddish is so that you can keep on tanking and you can keep on having more bites of the apple and, and maybe get two or three Trey Youngs. But it seems like I'll, I'll let you answer this, but my my theory is that there is pressure from above on Trevor Slank to be good now. Um, and so, yes, they've, they've gone into the tank, but ownership is like, all right, that's enough tank. You've got your players that, you know, if you tell me that DeAndre Hunter is good as, as, as you say he is and, and why you drafted him, then we should be all right to, to really spend some money right now. Um, Dante, is this, <laughs> how much easier is the playoff run to get in the East if you're Atlanta than if you're Phoenix in the West? I, I feel bad for you there, Dante, but what, what are your thoughts on this team? Well, I think it goes back to, I think, Firstly, I think there definitely is pressure on ownership. Like the moves that um, that they've made are like definitely like win now moves. But 
you always say, Sean, that ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the NBA. And it's true because if ownership, and I, I can't remember who the Hawks owners are and what the ownership group's like, but if ownership is saying to Travis Schlenk and, and Lloyd Pierce, like you have to win now, they're kind of like shooting themselves in the foot because literally the whole team building plan for the last three years has been get Trey Young, surround him with switchable wings who can provide good defense and an offensive structure. And last season, they were so bad. And some of their players, you know, like Reddish and Hunter, for most of the season were just awful on both ends of the court. But the, the, the philosophy behind it is throw them in the fire and let's just like blood them early so that they'll be good. That doesn't really work if one season after them being bad, you just replace them with veterans mm. on big money contract. Because... You know, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll start at the top with Capella, Collins, and Okongwu, who all have a reasonable shout that their best position is centre. Um, you know, those three cycling through the two big positions means that they probably view Gallinari as a three, even at age thirty-two, and paying him twenty million a year for the next three years. So, with you know, then Bogdan Bogdanovich starting at the two most likely next to Trey Young. That means Herder, Reddish, and um, Hunter are all on the bench, you know, and at, probably at least two of those guys are not going to be able to play more than 20 minutes a game. And I don't want to be too doom and gloom or, um, you know, like clickbaity, but this is exactly what happened in New York with, with Kevin Knox you know, from, from his rookie year to his second year. He was bad as a rookie, but they let him play through mistakes. And then in his second year, they signed players ahead of him and they, he just didn't play. And that's how you have Kevin Knox averaging six points a game when you just spend the eighth pick on him 18 months before. Mm. And if, if that happens here, they traded up for Hunter. You know, they gave up picks for Hunter and they left other players on the board to take Hunter, even though they knew he wouldn't have as high a ceiling. And the same with Reddish because they were like building to their blueprint. And now they've just thrown the blueprint away. Never mind that, you know, Gallo's 32 and slow and, you know, 20 million is a lot. Rondo has had one motivated season in the past five years and it was playing next to LeBron James. So like, forgive me if I don't think we're getting playoff Rondo. <laughs> Chris Dunn is a really good defensive player. But again, if you're playing Chris Dunn, you're taking minutes away from one of the guys we just talked about. And obviously, you know, you signed Bogey to that contract. He's playing. He's getting 30 minutes a game. So I just think it's, you know, that they're a better team now than they were five to you know five ten days ago but i just think that they're going to be a worse team in two years than they would have been if they had this kind of like stayed the course yeah i completely agree with you and yeah it's it's not my saying that ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the nba it's danny larue's but he is spot on because if if this team is just run and owned by gms then everyone will be tanking for much longer and as i said a couple of weeks ago i'm still reading the the process book about Sam Hinkey and one of the reasons that Sam Hinkey left is because ownership got a little bit worried about the public perception of the team. They called Adam Silver, asked for a bit of help and they brought in the Colangelos and everything went from there and we know what happened, which is like, they're still a good team. They're still a championship contender, but imagine if they had 
another guy or they had Jason Tatum instead of Markel Fultz and, and so on and so on. And it, it keeps going. And it's, yes, I think this is good for Trey Young's development to actually play in real games now, but just probably wait till you get another Trey Young and then maybe surround him with veterans and bring in, like with Ben Simmons, you bring in not a veteran of that caliber. Actually, I could say Jimmy Butler. I was going to say Marco Bellinelli and surround them with guys that are good now and you can just keep on replacing them until they win a championship. Um, but this this is not the time, in my opinion. But this is the hand they're dealt. And I think they're going to be fun next season. Um, hopefully, they still have championship aspirations, but... It's it, there's a lot of pressure on Trey Young to be Steph Curry now, instead of just being Damian Lillard or or you know so, uh, someone a tier below that. Don't don't trash Damian Lillard's name by saying what Trey Young has done on you know the worst <laughs> for the last two years. I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking I'm talking about his future, like what his ceiling would be. Um, but yeah, I don't know. This is that it seems like they're cutting it short just to be good now. And the reason they brought in Travis Schlank when they did is because they had Al Horford, Paul Millsap and, and all those guys, and they couldn't get anywhere with it. They, yes, they won 60 games or whatever, and they still couldn't beat LeBron James. And before then it was the Josh Smith of the world and Joe Johnson. They, they couldn't get it done. And uh, yeah, this is why you bring in a, a smart guy to rebuild your team, but you know, you don't tell him to stop halfway through his job. Yeah, it, it completely invalidates everything that has been done because Bogey and Dunn and Rondo and Gallo are not going to make this team, you know, like a top, probably even a top six seed, let's be real. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you stunt the growth of all the players who you just invested so much draft capital in by playing all these, signing all these veterans to huge money and then playing them against, you know, playing them ahead of them. Like, if, if these dudes just turn into Kevin Knox, well, then next year when Gallo's old and, you know, like Bogey is playing like a dude who is good but averages, you know, 15 and 5, you're, you know, like you, you're kind of screwed. It's not like you can just treat these guys as promising young wings you know, now that they're, they're going from playing 32 minutes a game and putting up 15 shots to a completely different role, playing 20 minutes a game and not getting the ball because, you know, now you've added another ball hammer in Bogdanovich who's going to play with Young in the first unit and then Rondo in the second unit. Like, that means that Cam Reddish doesn't get to really polish his off-the-dribble game. And it means that Hunter, you know, is only going to, literally only going to be shooting, like, catch and, and shoot threes and, I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me for, you know, this isn't the year to, to, to push for all in when, you know, you've got next, next year's draft seven to be really good as well. And there's seven guaranteed playoff teams in the A. So you're fighting with Washington, Charlotte, um, Orlando, you know, you've got a one in four chance of being that eighth team provided that everybody experiences good health. And yeah, that's silly. That's silly, Sean. <laughs> it is silly and, and it's upsetting. But let's move on to a team that uh, isn't going in that trajectory. And that's, that's, this isn't even a, a good facsimile, but the New Orleans Pelicans, um, who were extremely lucky to be selling their best player at the best possible time when there is some desperate like crackhead of the Milwaukee Bucks willing to pay five first round picks for Drew Holiday. Um, and obviously they got Drew Holiday 
for three three sorry three picks and two swaps, but they also got Eric Bledsoe, who has only two years left on his on his deal um, with a full non guarantee in in the third season from now. And Eric Bledsoe is one of the best defensive guards in the league. Uh, he's a good player, like a in my opinion, a really good player. Yes, he didn't play too well in the playoffs, but I feel like judging someone on how they play against like Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors the year they won their thing. And I, I don't want to judge a guy on that. I think Eric Bledsoe is really good. So they got a, in my eyes, a positive contract, right? And they got all those picks. Um, and what they, they made a move with those picks. Um, it was something that the four-man weave... Um, the four-man weaves Lucas Petridis brought up the other day about turning a couple of those those picks into Stephen Adams, something that you and I poo-pooed, which it actually turned out to happen. So they traded just one of the picks, which was the, what was it, the 2023 first-round pick, which is fully lottery-protected to OKC. And then they flipped that trade for Stephen Adams into an extension, um, signing him for two years, $35 million on top of this year, which he'll be be paid $27.5 million. That is 107.5% of what his contract would have been in OKC because he decided not to waive his trade bonus. And so he should. Good on him. Fucking get those checks, Stephen Adams. But I'll start off the conversation by saying that I don't agree with David Griffin's process in building a championship contender because I think when, just like what we talked about with Montrose Harrell and Anthony Davis, when it's time to win games, your best lineup will have Zion at the five, Brandon Ingram at the four, and then three other players bringing in a big man. And also I complained about this when they drafted Jackson Hayes last season um, in the last, in last year's draft, because you're drafting a guy who you, you would assume that whenever you draft someone that they're going to become a good player and reach their high watermark and the high watermark for Jackson Hayes, just as it is Steven Adams is a guy who is going to play only the center position and they can't play anything else. And that's going to get in the way of Zion Williamson's best position. And I think this last season only guaranteed that in my eyes, even though it was 25 games or whatever it was for Zion. Um, I'm not a fan of the Steven Adams move. They they didn't give up an actual pick because if, if they're in the lottery, they're going to keep the pick. If not, then you probably don't want your pick anyway. Um, but I think they're paying Steven Adams too much money to come in and take up Zion's position as the best center on their best lineup. Do you agree with me, Dante? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think in terms of value, obviously with you know Adams signing the the extension, I think he's making twenty. Yeah, he's making twenty five this season. So the the, the extension is going to pay him seven million less, which on the face of it is good value, but. Just, uh, I completely agree in terms of um, skill set. I, I like the idea of putting someone big next to Zion. At least, you know, maybe you only play 25 Very minutes good. a game and you close with Zion at the five. But um, maybe someone with a, you know, like a different, like a different skill set. And someone who comes to mind, and I don't think that this player is particularly good. I'm not like riding home about this player, but just in terms of a skill set, someone like Miles Turner, who from the price that they paid to bring Adams in would have been, you know, gettable definitely yeah. for this team. With 
with Adams and, and Zion, it seems like they, they have some kind of like overlapping skill sets on on offense um, and positionally on, on on defense as well. If you want to groom Zion to be your in your you know best interior defender, playing him next to Adams isn't going to afford him that um, that opportunity. And then on offense, they're both kind of interior scoring guys. And if you're posting up Zion on the low block where he was really effective, letting him go to that vaunted spin move, where's Adams standing? You know, at least at least with Turner, he he he's a shot blocker but he's not awful getting switched out into smaller guys. And if you want, you can space him out to the three on, on offense. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in a world where maybe in two years, the caps were covered and, and it grows a couple million. It's not the worst thing in the world to have Stephen Adams, who's a good player on a, you know, an $18 million deal because the NBA that we're in now is, is where, you know, like if you are a good player, you might be getting in, you know, like Gallo is a good player. He's a good starter. He's, he's a good like third or fourth piece and he just got paid 20 million, you know? So it's not like it's some obscene overpay, but it's more just the the skill set of a guy who ideally this year or next year would be, you know, playing like a spot starter, backup big um, kind of role behind Zion. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's poor asset management because we know how easy it is to get centers. And Christian Wood, a guy who David Griffin actually let go, um, Christian Wood was, what, three for 41? And I would much rather have him on three for 41 than Stephen Adams on two for, um, two for 35 plus the 27.5 for this year. It's just... Like we saw Mason Plumley get three for 25 and Mason Plumley is not as good as Stephen Adams, but I don't think that the difference between those two is that drastic in terms of Stephen Adams being better, that he needs to be paid so much more than, um, than Mason Plumley. And then someone I brought up with Mason Plumley, where it's like, Oh, look, if you have to get a, a ground bound big who can't do much, then you may as well get Tash Gibson for the minimum. And I'm not saying that I'd rather they go out and get Tash Gibson or just a minimum center, but there's better options. There's better things to do, especially when, in my opinion, whatever center you get, Taj Gibson, Mason Plumley, or Stephen Adams, they're not going to be playing in the last five minutes of a game when you're trying to win games. And yes, you need to play 48 minutes of a game. I just think that you can get these guys elsewhere. And one of the reasons for drafting Jackson Hayes is the theory of like, if you're Brooklyn and you have Jared Allen, um, you he's on a rookie deal. He is a very good player right now because rookie bigs can be good. Not, not rookie bigs, but... Bigs on rookie contracts can be good. So he's cost-controlled. He's cheap. You don't have to re-sign him. You can just draft another Jared Allen if you trust your scouting department. So if you have Jackson Hayes as that stopgap guy, you can just draft another Jackson Hayes a couple of years from now as he starts to get expensive and then just keep cycling bigs because you don't care about having the best center or the best defensive center in the game at any one point because when you want to win the game, you put Zion at the five, you put BI at the four, and that's how you win games. And there's there's no universe in which Stephen Adams grows better, um, especially I think he's on the wrong side of 30 now as well. I just don't think that it is much better to have to have Stephen Adams than it would be to have Miles Turner, who's cheaper this year, or Mason Plumley. Even though you and I don't love Mason Plumley, I just I, I don't think it's good asset management, good money management, because you could you could just get something better. Um, and I, I would much rather. Uh, 
Miles Turner just because he can shoot as well. So if you have to play big next to Zion, at least like what Stephen Adams, Adams man is going to do is just clog up the lane for when Zion runs in, just bullies people out of the way. Zion can probably do it because he's just that good, but there's going to be another guy in the way for Zion to get to the ring when he shares the court with Stephen Adams. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, I mean to be, to be fair, like, you know, he's a good defender. They were bad defensively. He's a good rebounder. They were bad. They were bad rebounding last season. So <laughs> bad rebounding league. Um, and, and he's got that, you know, veteran experience and he's been on winning. Yeah. I like that and, stuff. Yeah. Um, Very young. Kind of, you know, the, the, the intangible, the, there's, there's definite value that he brings on the court and the intangibles are there, but it does seem like a state price considering that you're paying him above the going rate for a center and you gave up, you know, a, a first and, and two seconds to get him when you probably could have done the same thing for someone like Turner. Or the other thing is, you know, like Derek Favors is probably in the same caliber. You know, Adams is probably a bit better than Favors, but they're in the same bracket of, of big man. And Favors just signed for the three years at the mid-level exception in Utah. So half the price, or less, less than half the price, you know, over the same time period. So I, I'd probably rather have someone like Favors and then see what you have in Hayes and, that's okay that, you know, those guys will get you, you know, 32 minutes per game together. And, you know, then you bring in um, your, your small ball lineup with Zion at the five. And, and there's, there's a chance that Zion's not ready to play the five because he's only 20. And he's, he's obviously he's a, a huge man with an explosive leap and projects to be, a, you know, a, a really intimidating interior presence. But there's a chance that, in what will be realistically, you know, his first extended run that he's not ready. So that's where the value in having someone bigger who, who can do that is, you know, it comes in and Adams isn't the best rim protector, neither is favors, but, um, you're not going to you get know, Rudy Gobert. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, 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 you know, like you, you, yeah, for that money, you're probably not going to get an elite rim protector. Who's also not a complete liability on offense and favors is, you know, at half the money, Maybe they feel like they've already got their team set. They've already got all their other, other veterans, so they'd rather yeah, just, just get the guy they want. As well. Five years with no player, which is good. Yeah, rather than, you know, like save that extra 10 million cap space for another player. They're like, we've already got all the guys because they, you know, who who they pick up in um, in the draft? And they picked Kira up Kira Lewis, Lewis Jr. Yeah. Yeah, and they've got Mikhail Alexander Walker, who's a you know kind of like a big big combo guard wing type from last year. So they've got like all these vets who are locked up on deals. You've Bledsoe, you've Balls, um, you've got, you've got Lonzo, you've got um, so you've got Bi, you've got Zion. Maybe they just want to get the guy that they wanted, and if you pay a bit extra for him, then that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that they've got some other guys on rookie contracts who can come in and, and do spot value, but. Looking at a pure asset play, I think it's 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 mismanagement. But you know what? After all this discussion about Stephen Adams, I think that I'm prepared to give David Griffin, after the performance he's put in over the last year in New Orleans, the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, I would give him the benefit of doubt outside of centres. He did let Christian Wood go because he didn't want him there. Um, and that's, that's conjecture, but he, did, he let Christian Wood walk. 
and a completely different regime. But the last time the New Orleans Pelicans had an, you know, burgeoning MVP at the power four position, they signed Omar Ashik uh, to be their center to go along. Yeah. I hope this isn't a repeat. I think Stephen Adams is worlds better than Omar Ashik, but that didn't end well. <laughs> he was an albatross at the end. And I think he got stretched in the end as well. He was an albatross at the start. Yeah, he was an albatross at the start. So I'm not saying that he's Omar Ashik. I'm just like, let's let's see what happens. Um, is that is yeah. that all? I, I am very yeah. happy to not talk about Charlotte. Uh, I think if if anyone's listening to this podcast, they listen to other podcasts, they've heard people shit all over Gordon Hayward for the last week. <laughs> if anyone wants to hear us shit all over Charlotte, dig dig back through our archives to probably <laughs> July last year, free agency last year, probably episode 20-ish. Um, where we did a, a heavy dose of shitting on shitting all over Charlotte, and you can literally just it's you know it's um, Gordon Hayward um, insert him for Terry Rozier, and then that's you know pretty much copy paste. <laughs> yeah, um, but if you really really do want to hear us shit all over Gordon Hayward, you can contact us at our socials on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or email us at deepdeeppodcast at gmail dot com. What a fucking brilliant segue, Dante! Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's, that is all from us. So, Dante, send us off. Um, sick. Have a good one. How's that for send off?